Welcome to WDFG, broadcasting Dear Final Girl, the advice and horror podcast where we dish on life and other scary movies. Every final girl has a story. So does her Jason, her Freddy, her Michael. So do we horror fans. This episode is part of our adjunct series, Origin Stories, where horror fans recount the horror movie memories that made them who they are today. Hello, final girl. Hello, final girl. How are you this fine evening? Oh, it's, you know, it's good. Things are, things are going well. It's... Um, it's <laughs> right before the holidays, you know, just, just in between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And this is such a weird time that, you know, the sun goes down at 4.30. Uh, mm-hmm. You go to work in the dark. You come home from work in the dark. And just not that I'm going anywhere these days, but. You walk into the room in the dark. You walk yeah. out of the room in the dark. Exactly. Exactly. From our marvelous makeshift home offices <laughs> that we have come to know and love. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And my heat was out this week. So. Lovely. So on the one hand, I was, you know, bundling up in my office and for every Zoom meeting, everybody was like, you're making me feel cold. And it was like, good, fine. <laughs> like, That's I'm right. cold. Um, Think and, of my pain. You know, we're supposed to be more empathetic to one another anyway. So yeah, get on board. Yeah, exactly. And then on, on the other <laughs> hand, when I wasn't on calls, I was out in front of the fireplace, which was nice and cozy <laughs> and... Not nearly warm enough, but that's. I'm having a little. I'm having a little bit of issues with heat regulation myself. Oh. Um, number one being I have very little control over the heat regulation oh, because no. I live in an apartment which is um, in an old house, and we have these marvelous old gas uh, radiators. Hmm. And I can control one of them, but I, and, but I cannot control the other one. It just pumps out, you know, whatever heat. And so, and I have a lot of windows in the room uh-huh. where the radiator is that I can't control the heat. So it's this constant exercise of like, let me keep the shades up because it's hot as hell in here. Now I need to raise them down because it's now getting cold. <laughs> I have one cat in particular who loves to like be sitting in the windowsill and uh-huh. she's just like, she is definitely like shut down right now. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And like, just like, you know, TMI, but waking up with like the crustiest nose ever <laughs> every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those old houses are great for poor, uh, poor heating, poor ventilation, and yes. lots of dust. At least you don't have that. Uh, at least when it's cold, the cockroaches kind of uh, disappear for a little while. They've gone into the walls. Yes. <laughs> I was just, which you know, that's a lovely thought. But I, I know Sorry. they're there. I mean, I know they're there. And I think I have shared on a prior episode that I did have a little bit of an issue earlier this year, Um, but haven't seen them for quite some time. And I just know that, that, you know, that I have, I probably have that to look forward 
to in the spring, but if I, I, I do have a very wonderful landlord who will come and spray when I squeal, so. <laughs> That's wonderful. I, you know, I remember living in that part of town with like the plaster and lathe walls yeah. that the, the cockroaches just love to nibble at. And, um, also like I lived in this one apartment that had a really nice sunroom that never got direct sun, but it was kind of leaning off the side of the house just enough to make it so that none of the windows actually closed all of the way. And so I stuffed them like I was on the little house on the prairie, I stuffed them with rags to make sure that, to like block the wind in the winter. Um, Now, was this when you lived on Murphy? Cherokee. Okay, the reason I asked, because I know know the house that you lived in on Murphy. (laughs) Yeah. And there is a part of that structure that does kind of lean a little off to the... That was our bedroom, actually. So the part that leaned off. And, oh my God. So the closest thing I've ever had to living in a haunted house is when we lived in the bottom apartment in that old house. It's like a 1910 house and it's got these beautiful stone walls and all of this stuff. It's got a sunroom off of the side of the house that was our bedroom where when you stepped into it, you realized that the floor sloped away from the house. (laughs) Um, But one or two years before we moved out of that house, a there was a raccoon infestation. We had raccoons living in the ceiling above our bedroom. And if you know anything about raccoons, they like to eat, they're nocturnal. And this raccoon or family of raccoons would murder other animals at night. So there was screaming it sounded like children screaming bloody murder and fighting for their lives in our ceiling and max and i would just lay there in the bed like (laughs) two three in the morning like put a hand on one another's arm like it's it's gonna be okay it's gonna be okay we'll call the exterminator tomorrow just nights upon nights of this it was terrifying oh my god that is horrifying and yet i find a little tiny corner of my morbid self thinking i want animals to be murdering one another Uh, in the attic above my bedroom but i know it It sounds so magical in reality not not as magical as you think it sounds like something that would be really you know uh, entertaining to watch uh, to happening to someone in a movie, but not your actual self. Right, right, right. Yes. And, and, you know, we were talking before we got onto the call or before we started recording about how I have these French doors behind me and how I'm just waiting for like a face to show up in them. And like, that's the same sort of thing. Like, 
And, you know, I would be the first one to see it, except if the camera view that you have, since we're on Zoom together, would be showing what's behind you a little bit. Mm. I don't know. Does it, when you look at it, does it show you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see see the same thing that you're seeing, so. I know. Uh, Again, great in in a movie, not so much in real life. I agree. Did I ever tell you the story? And we are actually going to get <laughs> yeah. eventually. Yeah, we've we've yeah. got a plan for this. Uh... Yeah, and just you know, just to kind of do the responsible thing and and let people know what what may be coming soon. Um, this week's episode is uh, a foraging story. Oh yeah, um, and it is from a fan of the show and our friend Van who is going to talk about the um, effect of seeing David Cronenberg's The Fly. Ooh. You know, I'm just going to say that the discussion of the cockroaches earlier was kind of a foreshadowing. Right, right. Of insect-based horror, which I have had in this apartment. (laughs) (laughs) I have had that. Um, now what were we, what were we talking about that we probably shouldn't have been talking about anyway? What were we talking about? I don't know. You were going to tell a story and. Oh, scary (laughs) weird apartment stuff. Oh yeah. Okay. So, um, the prior time that I lived alone in an apartment in an old house, Mm -hmm. um, in the main living room, there were a pair, uh, there were, there were like these, these two mm-hmm. doors that if they had functioned, you know, they would have slid together, right. like a double, double doors that slid like together. Like pocket doors? Pocket doors, mm-hmm. yes. And they were locked off because this was an old house subdivided into apartments. And what this blocked off was essentially what would have been the foyer mm-hmm. that was now between my apartment and then the apartment next door. So one night, I mean, I literally come home at midnight. It would have been perfect if I had had like a grandfather clock and it would have struck 12 right as I walked in right, the door right. with the beam of creepy moonlight, you know, shining through. <laughs> and I noticed that there was something on the floor. I'm like, what is that? It was dark. I turn on the light. And... I had I had cats at the time as I do now and apparently they had been fishing their little paws under that under that door. Uh-huh. And they had brought out um an old like little tiny script of a horoscope from like decades ago. Ah, like the kind you buy at Kroger the rolled up ones. Yes, like they were like on a scroll or something. Yeah, yeah. And some kind of bone. A bone? Some sort of bone, which I just think was like an old animal bone or something. So I'm just thinking, like, am I supposed to do some sort of midnight ritual involving this horoscope and this bone? And am I going to, like, bring forth the spirits of the dead or something? I think I think that with anything like that, you should just go bury it in the backyard. Like, bury... I don't remember what I did. I just remember being super creeped out. 
Oh, yeah. That's like, you know, in stories when they're like, oh, somebody finds something like a a bundle of twigs and herbs and bones (laughs) and like a, a couple of human hairs tied up underneath their bed and they're like mm. nope yeah. nope why nope. me why me i'm just i just i'm just renting this place damn it i didn't sign up for this speaking of scary experiences that stay with us uh we could probably transition very nicely <laughs> to this week's origin story that was a fabulous segue that was a fabulous I, segue <laughs> I feel like I could be like a weather person. You know how they always do those cheesy segues? That's going to be my next career. I, I think you should. Yeah, a meteorologist. Yeah, that's it. Good. Okay, cool. So, um, well, cool. With that, I'm going to go ahead and play uh, Van's origin story. Sounds groovy. Here we go. For many horror fans... From the moment they first see a horror-related image, like a poster or a commercial, they're immediately compelled to seek out that movie or show or book. They'll say, I saw that VHS box or that heavy metal album cover, and I knew right away, whatever that was, it was for me. For others of us, becoming a horror fan was a longer process. As a child, I was fairly serious and well-behaved. I was one of those kids who got labeled mature for their age, but in reality, I was mostly just introverted and anxious. I was raised in a Christian household that was moderately religious. Many horror fans experienced oppression in their youth, but that's not really my story. My parents were kind and loving, and they gave me lots of space to be my own person. When I say moderately religious, I mean that faith was taken seriously, but it didn't involve fear or severe discipline. For example, if I had played with a Ouija board, I wouldn't have been afraid of, like, evil spirits, but my parents still wouldn't have allowed one in the house. I couldn't watch R-rated movies, but they weren't evil or forbidden or any of that. So this isn't one of those personal stories where I tell you that my life was like Stephen King's Carrie or something. Although I recognize it's a real experience for some people. I remain a practicing Christian to this day, although not of the conservative or evangelical varieties. My first exposure to strange and spooky things as a child was through the library. I loved anything that involved UFOs, Bigfoot, haunted houses, you name it. If it was weird or strange, I wanted to read about it. Where the first bit of trouble came was with my exposure to the book Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. After hearing one of those stories at school, I came home scared shitless. My mother immediately complained to the administration the next day. From then on, whenever I'd bring my armload of monster movie books to the librarian for checkout, She'd look over her glasses and ask me if my mother knew what I was reading. But her question seemed ridiculous to me. The stories about the wolfman and the creature from the Black Lagoon didn't give me nightmares. They weren't horror, I thought. They were fun monster stories. I couldn't have articulated it concisely when I was a child, but here is the gist of it. As I understood it then, horror meant making entertainment out of people being hurt and killed, and that was immoral and irresponsible. And as a quote-unquote mature little person, I took that seriously. I liked monster movies, but I wasn't a horror fan. As I grew older, I watched a lot of basic cable where the science fiction and monster movies I loved overlapped with straight horror. 
I saw the first few Friday the 13th movies and I realized that horror movies were just movies and on a continuum with all the stories I already loved, not some sick outliers. And even the real sick outliers sometimes have their place. Even so, the movies I watched were still mostly limited to basic cable. Once I moved out for college, though, I immediately began renting hundreds of horror, cult, and foreign movies to try and get my arms around the genre I had tiptoed around for so long. For this origin story, I thought about what single movie would illustrate my personal experiences as I developed into a horror fan. For a lot of people, horror comedies made them fall in love with the genre as kids, with movies like Evil Dead 2 or Reanimator. I love both those films now, but I think if I had seen them as a kid, the humor might have only made the violence extra upsetting. Since my love of horror grew out of sci-fi and monster movies, I think the movie that served as my real entry into horror fandom was David Cronenberg's 1986 movie, The Fly. The Fly is a remake of a 1958 film, and the 86 version is the story of scientist Seth Brundle, played by Jeff Goldblum, who invents a teleportation device in his lab. He develops a romantic relationship with Ronnie, a journalist played by Gina Davis. When Brundle teleports himself through his machines, his DNA becomes mixed with a housefly, and although he seems unaffected at first, his mind and body slowly deteriorate as he transforms into an inhuman creature. I first saw The Fly on cable sometime during middle school. In its fairly short running time, we watched the development and dissolution of a relationship and the disfigurement, deterioration, and transformation of Brundle's body. The famous tagline of the movie is be afraid, be very afraid, and it's a great line. But even more terrifying to me was a scene late in the film when Ronnie is overcome with anguish and Brundle's human mind is being destroyed by the insect he's becoming. He warns Ronnie to leave him with the emotionally shattering line, I'll hurt you if you stay. His behavior is turning controlling, and when he discovers Ronnie is pregnant, he takes desperate, violent steps to try and stop her from getting an abortion. The Fly is as goopy and ridiculous as any number of monster movies from the 80s and 90s. But when I saw this movie, I saw a story that had all the thrills and excitement of a sci-fi monster movie, but it took death and suffering very seriously. Back then, I had never seen death or disease up close, and I'm grateful to say I didn't experience abuse. But by early adolescence, I was beginning to learn about those things and how they affected people I knew. In some previous origin stories, listeners have talked about how horror movies served as an escape from a tumultuous childhood. In my case, my childhood, while not perfect, was fairly untroubled, but I also dealt with anxiety and fear that could be paralyzing. For some people, goofy horror movies are a way to distance themselves from real-life fear and pain. For me, although horror movies don't always have the most uplifting endings, I saw characters going through fear and trauma, and surviving it. We all know that at the end of the movie, the credits are going to roll and give us some relief from the anxieties we've just subjected ourselves to. But on a deep level, we know that the real-life things we're afraid of, of being unsafe, of losing our loved ones, of pain and our own death, those things are still out there, and they always will be. But life can seem a little easier to handle when we've willingly experienced fear and lived through it. But this isn't like a thesis statement or the only explanation for why we like horror movies. It's just one opinion from one angle. 
I'm not still that self-serious 12-year-old kid who first saw the fly, or at least I'm not only that kid. I like not being able to fully explain why I enjoy horror movies. I think of the contradiction when my young daughter sees something scary on TV and screams and covers her eyes, but defiantly refuses to stop watching. Some people just like scary stories, and I'll never get tired of thinking about why. I appreciate the time to do that on here. Thanks for listening. And thank you, Van. Thank you for your contribution. I just found um, found it particularly thoughtful, and uh, and some things we have not heard in in prior origin stories. You know, no, no, no judgment, no comparison, no nothing like that. But just some different 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 elements and different angles what did you think that Tamara? yeah uh i think it was interesting how uh van uh said i had a very safe childhood i had a very uh loving and it, it sounded um protected childhood and not overprotective but protected um and yet the, these stories still uh, speak to him and still uh, give him a sense of safety, I think. Yeah. Um, uh, and, you know, I, I understand being the well-behaved and yet introverted and anxious kid um, I was not necessarily a mature little person as, uh, Van said he was, but, you know, at the same time I was safe or I felt safe for the, ma- for the majority of my time. And I, th- I think that I, I understand his feeling that like these movies are a safe way to deal with the scary things of adulthood. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, he he mentioned a couple of times their relationship with kind of, uh, you know, seeing seeing hurt, seeing people hurt, seeing people suffer and being um, I, on one hand realizing he said that that was part of the entertainment value of horror. That's part mm-hmm. of what that's part of what horror cashes in on. And having a having a realization of that, you know, that that is in fact true, right? But also being able to then not just dismiss it as a genre because that's happening, but to be able to, um, I think, tap in tap into what was clearly, you know, his sense of of empathy mm-hmm. um, and and understanding of hurt and suffering, which was probably part of him being an introverted and you know, a, a little person of, of, of beyond their years, yeah. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, and I think the other thing that one of the other things that really struck me is that, is that in this, in, in his story, and he talked several times really about storytelling here, mm-hmm. um, but in his story, you know, faith and religion are not monstrosities. Um, right. 
and they they often can be um but he grew up in a household in which those things were very much present and there were certainly things that were taboos but it doesn't seem like the things that that were taboos were beyond like the normal taboos of what a parent would would not want their child to be exposed to right um so that i found that very encouraging because <laughs> you know you hear, you hear so many stories you hear so many stories to the opposite and i and i have i have people that i'm close to that that the presence of religion and the way that it showed up in the family was certainly a monstrous thing in their growing up and something they had to grapple with you know their whole adult lives that's a that's a really interesting point and um i think it's uh you know anything anything in life taken to an extreme will become a monstrosity and so you know we we talk a lot in our um in in the news and in life in general about radicalism and how radicalism is so dangerous and i think that 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 point you just made where you know as as like moderation moderation of faith moderation of storytelling moderation of exposure but within these safe bounds that keeps things from feeling at least monstrous in our real lives and um i i think what he said about the fly and it just okay and i know this is probably a really obvious comparison um, that has, this is not the first time that somebody has made this comparison, but um, his discussion of the fly, um, and as you put earlier, insect-based horror, um, <laughs> is has a lot to do, in at least in my mind, with uh, Kafka's metamorphosis. How, oh how we deteriorate, and that's what he said, deteriorating into inhumanity. You know, what is it? And like, I can't believe that I never made this connection before, but you know, we all think of Kafka's metamorphosis as he turns into a cockroach, but it's, it, it, I remember in my master's program when we talked about metamorphosis it's not actually necessarily a cockroach it's just a bug right it's it's an insect uh, it's a lower life form if you can hear the air quotes around it and so i think what he said about how that movie takes death and suffering seriously yeah. is is really interesting and like I think I talk a lot about finding inroads into stories and how these stories kind of find a place to hang on your life and like you get a little hook in and then you you want more of them right and I think that 
what Van was saying is that a story like The Fly that has such serious undertones of what ha- it, it there's not very much that separate separates us from the insects. Um, yeah. And, and it's so, yeah, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, but, but that, uh, seeing something like that, that takes the, the real life story seriously, uh, can bring you, can kind of be your gateway into the rest of the rest of the movies or the rest of the genre. Yeah, I mean, oh gosh, I have so many things running through my mind right now. <laughs> and I can't, I should remember being being a, a master's program yeah. graduate myself. <laughs> um, I cannot remember where this quote comes from, but I recall, you know, the line, man's inhumanity to man. Um, oh. And what's that, where is that from? I don't know. I'm googling it right now. We'll have to we'll have to Google it and then include it in one of our tweets to 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 uh, promote the podcast. Um, and there was there's this line. Robert in... Burns. Robert Burns. Okay. Yeah. Um, and there's this line in a T.S. Eliot poem. Mm-hmm. I think it's the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock where he says, you know, oh, my people, what have I done unto thee? And I think if you're a sensitive little person (laughs) and you absorb a lot of stuff, you are likely to think that that line resonates. I know it always resonated with me, and I always felt when I read it, my my own particular individual guilt in the the problems of the human condition what what am i doing what am i doing to my my fellow humans and um i I should have spent an equal amount of time thinking about what i was doing to myself you know (laughs) and and asking that question and taking on so much so much guilt you know that that didn't belong to me but I think that's part of being empathetic. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I'm going to make a, like, it's probably a big pivot, but I think it's related. It goes back to that quote that Van called out, you know, I'll, I'll hurt you if you stay. That's what Brundle said to Ronnie as he was, you know, becoming more, starting to become more fly than human. Right. <laughs> First of all, I never thought before about the fact like, well, how many times have we ever seen a fly in our environment and thought about it being malicious toward us? Yeah. <laughs> like, now whenever I see a fly, you know, because then, okay, think about one of the closing lines of Psycho when Norman Bates is speaking only now from his mother's voice, and he's like, I'm, I'm going to show them I'm, I'm as harmless as that fly over there. You know, I wouldn't hurt uh... anybody. So what is it that the fly in the fly represents danger? Right. And to me, it can only be that it's like this is this is a this is a being an organism somewhere between human and and 
pure animal or pure insect and that that represents danger because it's a mutation Mm -hmm. um but it's kind of like you know all of these movies like even sci-fi movies where the assumption is oh well these are aliens they must mean to do us harm right and so it's really you know i really want to rewatch this movie because i i really never thought about that angle before and then the other thing about about cronenberg and I credit I credit um, Joe Bob Briggs for this because he when um, one of the movies he showed, I think in his original comeback marathon on Shudder was another Cronenberg film called Rabid, you know. And he called out the particular point that you know Cronenberg is an atheist and there he never he will never have anything supernatural in any of his films. So there is not there is nothing. There's no big daddy in the sky or big mama that is ever going to come save you. You are left to grapple with humanity and and life as it is. And, you know, and and you know, he tends to present the more brutal and unforgiving and non-hopeful side right. <laughs> of, what it, of what it means to be human. Um, or insect. Anyway, that was What's that? Yeah, or an insect. Yeah, an insect. Or to lose your humanity. I think that's really, uh, that's not something I had ever heard or even thought about before that, um, you know, the lack of the supernatural, it, it kind of makes me think of like, you know, the watchmaker God, the one that just sets things up and lets them run um, and how... Like, there's always the the argument that, oh, you know, well, there is supernatural because, you know, without the divine inspiration, then he wouldn't be able to make the machine that does the teleportation, blah, blah, blah. But uh, the idea that man is on his own to both cause and solve his own problems um, and grapple with his own uh, humanity and all of the ego and the, the, you know, awful emotions that come with being a human. Um, that's really interesting. I, I hadn't really thought about that. Um, and, you know, that's what horror, that's what horror tends to focus on, although you know, the namesake of our podcast, Your Final Girl, there, there's always the, the hope that is represented by those who survive. Um, but, you know, depending on the film, how, how they are, how they, how they survive and kind of how they look at the end, you know, they're not, they're, they're still in it, <laughs> you know, they're, they're still in the muck. Uh, can you hear that lovely siren in the back? I background? can. That's that is lovely. Speaking speaking of you know being in the muck. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, I mean, sometimes you know, you you get this kind of glimpse of like, okay, this person's going to go on from here and mm-hmm. be resilient. But usually, you're left with them right as they're still they're 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 still in their trauma. They're alive. And we've talked about this before. They're alive, 
But man, they they gonna have to get a lot of therapy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I was I was trying to explain what our um, podcast was about the other day, um, and I was like, I finally remembered. Oh yeah, we we do this because the final girl is the survivor. The final girl is the mm-hmm. one who can tell the story later. The final girl is the one who has and, and like it was weird because we've been doing this for you know a year and a half, and I just had this sudden re-realization like, oh right. Yeah, this is why we talk about these letters because we've been through some shit. <laughs> That's right. Because as you know, as as hopefully more and more people will discover, um, what we feature on our podcast is not only these awesome origin stories, but we do receive letters from people. We solicit letters to dearfinalgirl at gmail.com um God, you with the segues today yes and our that's the it's the weather it's the weather person thing coming back in again. <laughs> right. um um our twitter account is at final dear and you can direct message letters there as well mm-hmm. um but yeah it was like to to try to help people um we're the the horror and advice podcast and we deal with life and other scary stories so speaking of which i gotta say like i i know you can't see this because this is an audio thing but when van talked about scary stories to tell in the dark oh yeah that like i just like raised the roof over here um that is the summer after, summer between fifth and sixth grade, my teacher had one of the original scary stories to tell in the dark books with like the terrifying pictures in it. I don't know if you remember these um, or if they were uh, not of your time. They were terrifying, still are hey. terrifying. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> Yeah, that much older than you. No. Oh, gosh. All right. Sorry. Um, No, go for it. Go for it. No, but that was the first book I ever stole from school. So wonderful. (laughs) Yeah, the teacher was like, yeah, you can borrow a book for the summer. And I was like, I'm going to borrow this one. And it never made it back to school because it... (laughs) I don't know. You what know, it, when you're like 80 or something, they're going to reach out to you from the public library and go, you have an over a, a, a 50 year old. Uh, no, that would probably be more like 90 at that point. Um, you know, like all of your retirement savings. Thank you. <laughs> That's They're not going to because my elementary school was destroyed. Like they oh. tore down my elementary school a year or two ago. I know it's really sad but we put in a time capsule uh, like we made a time capsule in my 6th grade year because we were the class of 2000 and um, 
so they opened up the time capsule and it was a, a bunch of like lame stuff from 1990 uh, of three or four. Um, That's so cool though. Yeah. Really sweet. I didn't get to go, but you know, well, it made me, you know, I was, I was really jazzed too. when he talked about, you know, getting scary stories from the library and believe it or not, as a kid, that was never a book that crossed my path. I, I, I can't believe it. I don't know why. Um, and I was trying to think of what was the first book? Like, what was the first book that had that kind of effect on me? And it wasn't a book. It was the horror comics that somehow my dear, sweet grandmother uh, had at her house that I would always read <laughs> when, I, when I went over there. Um, and I know, I know I started reading Stephen King at a too young age, you know, like all of us did, you know, and I, I definitely had the librarian looking down her, her nose at me with her reading. Over her glasses. Old enough to be reading that. Right. Um, and I remember various times that my older sisters would come back to the house to live because you know, shit in their life had hit the fan, so they came back home, and, you know, they were reading all these pulp horror, you know, pulp, you know, paperback, horror paperbacks from the 80s, so I remember encountering those, and I also remember I was in the fourth grade, and there was this collection of scary stories, and I don't remember the name, but I did, like, in the past few years, find this story, and it was about this island um, that had giant man-eating snails on it. What? Um, and when I found it, when I finally found that story again, I discovered that it was written by Patricia Highsmith, who wrote the you know talented Mr. Ripley. Really? Um, and I was like, why was there a story <laughs> by Patricia Highsmith? in my elementary school library but i'm so glad because like that that story stayed it stayed with me all my life i mean it was genuinely creepy because of course the protagonist is the scientist who thinks and i'm i'm not knocking science okay i'm not i'm not doing an anti-science <laughs> but he just happened to be a scientist who kind of felt like he was it was kind of like Captain Ahab and Moby Dick. The power of the, dis- the 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 power of the discovery is greater than everything, even to you know his or her you know undoing. Um, and it was that kind of story, you know, a man driven and then he's destroyed by what he's seeking. He's eaten by these snails. <laughs> and um, it gets pretty graphic and detailed, as I remember, as they're sort of like, you know, kind of sinking into his flesh. And I'm, I'm just really glad that was in my library. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I did not know of Patricia Highsmith before this. However, I had seen something earlier this year about her 1952 romance novel, The Price of Salt, which was written under a pseudonym, which is like apparently a um, lesbian uh, romance story. Um, yeah, that was like one of the seminal, you know, like no inappropriate pun intended. Um, <laughs> 
anti seminal. Uh, anti seminal. <laughs> about when you talk about like the field of lesbian literature like that's one of the major ones that's cited huh. one of the earliest ones huh interesting wow She's... so there were a there were a couple of other things that i found unique about van's story and one is this whole idea of like kind of tiptoeing around being a horror fan mm-hmm um, cause I, I think, you know, there's the whole range of stories. There's like a, a very common one is like, I saw Friday the 13th when I was four right. and then, you know, you're off to the races. Right. Right. Um, and then I think, you know, another person's story that this reminds me of is the very first origin story we did, Isaac Thorne. Mm-hmm. Um, and his movie was Fright Night. And he, I think he kind of talks about that same kind of like approaching horror um you know you're not all in right away and then and then what what isaac was attracted to was not the slashers that were so popular but this more nuanced movie fright night which kind of harkened back to like the old monster movies Uh and you know the same with the fly i mean it certainly got the gore it was made in 86 but it's 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 a monster movie, and it's a it's a quote unquote remake of a, of of the earlier version of the fly, and it's you know the creature feature, um, not the like here's this slasher, here's this right. maniac just killing. And as Van know, calls it, goopy. Goopy, yeah, it is goopy. <laughs> it's pretty goopy. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, and even. You know, there's, a, I mean, there's always that there's all uh, uh, people of a certain age, you know, there's always like the influence of cable, mm-hmm. cable TV, the presence, the influence of cable TV in, in um, people becoming horror fans and being able to find like kids being able to like seek out and find what they were looking for when they were like old enough, you know, like 11, 12, 13, it just comes up again and again. And it's really powerful it's like that's nothing today i mean there's like a bajillion streaming channels and right you can find anything at any time but the, at, back then there was still that kind of sense of discovery that cable made available and it was kind of a window into a slightly darker world in some ways yeah uh you know the that feeling of kind of being up a little bit later than you should be flipping through channels Maybe catching a boob on Cinemax or, you know, (laughs) finding a, like, a thriller or a horror movie on one of these other channels that you're like, oh, okay, I could, I could stick around and see what, what happens here, see how this ends up. Um, Yeah, especially if you were coming of age, I would say let's say late 80s and 90s, like the the rise of the psychosexual thriller. Oh, yeah. <laughs> cannot be underestimated. And it seems like Michael Douglas was like in all of them for some reason, I don't know why. That's exactly who I was picturing too. <laughs> in his little like V-neck sweater, looking like 
pedestrian sexy i don't I don't, I don't know pedestrian sexy wasp yes exactly exactly <laughs> Oh, speaking of, I, I, this is like a complete tangent. I know we got to wrap up this episode, but speaking of, you know, pedestrian wasp yes. danger movie, you know, all those movies that are like, oh, you know, the, the, the happily married couple who are overcoming some strain in their relationship, you know, take in the babysitter, you know, who proceeds to, um, you yeah. know, the hand that rocks the cradle yeah exactly okay did you know did you know that chris that will ferrell and Kristen wig made a lifetime movie in 2015 and they totally played it straight and it was that same plot and it was called a deadly adoption and i am obsessed uh, with watching this movie, I've seen the first part of it, but I'm holding out because there's a, there's like another couple that we want to watch it with. <laughs> um, but they it's it's free. Like you can, I think it's free on on one of the streaming platforms, and they totally play it straight, and it's very hand that rocks the cradle. And I'm completely obsessed with watching this movie. Uh, it looks like it's free on Tubi. Tubi. I love Tubi. I've never seen Tubi, or I've never seen anything on Tubi, but this looks fantastic. Your face when I was describing that was like the bomb. The bomb. So we just watched Elf for the first time right after Thanksgiving with my niece and nephew and Sebastian watched a little bit of it and he I don't think he really got what was going on you know he's two so it's you know whatever um but then when we got home our neighbors have a uh elf wreath which is like a curly wig and like a like green I don't know, ribbon at the bottom, but it's got Will Ferrell's face in the center of it with like the elf hat on the top. It is fantastic and creepy and hilarious. Um, but I love both Will Ferrell and Kristen Wiig, and I am very excited to see. It looks like you can get it on YouTube too. Oh, no, no, no. That's just the trailer. You're muted. I don't know. We're, we're going to have to come up with a way to feature that on episode. Okay. okay. <laughs> we'll just be like, here's an episode that has absolutely nothing to do with our format, but we just wanted to watch a deadly adoption. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm for it. Next I'm week. Game. Next week, yeah. bonus episode, a deadly adoption. <laughs> <laughs> so any parting thoughts? Oh, goodness. It, you know, it made me really happy to hear Van say that he grew up in a house of faith without fear. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's becoming a rare thing. Um, or maybe it's just more silent than we're used to. It's that's quieter. That's point. Um, yeah, because we just tend to hear what's wrong, <laughs> you know? Right, right. And the extremities, you know, we, we hear, we hear the, uh, 
the the radicals and i i think that um those things the stories of people that come out of that have their place but i think that it's also really important to hear and discuss the stories of you know folks like van who love horror because it tells good stories mm-hmm. um and not because yeah. there's uh no judgment i think that yeah that's all good it is all good it is all good i really really appreciated him contributing um i met van through the local a local nashville horror meetup group when when meetups were like a thing that actually happened in person yeah (laughs) right and yeah, and the first time we met, he 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 had brought to my attention that our one of our local art well yeah one of our local independent cinemas the Belcourt um, was going to be showing the movie The Keep, which I now love. It's like from '83, I think it was Michael Mann's first film, and it's like um, just very briefly. Um, it's set in World War II. These Nazis are going to this particular region in Romania, and there's some sort of like big like castle keep there. And it turns out that there is a supernatural force um, in the keep. But it's a really good film. And so he had actually told me they were they were going to play it, and I ended up hosting the meetup group that night and got to meet Van and um, he's just been really sweet to me. He like texts me and makes sure that I'm, I, I don't still have COVID and stuff like that. So. <laughs> Speaking of which y- you don't, right? I do not. I do not. So, you know, I haven't been contagious in forever, mm-hmm. um, but I did have a cough forever that it was with me for so long that it was literally when it went, when it went away, like I just realized one day, like, Oh, I'm not coughing anymore. And that was like two weeks, two months after the whole thing started. Mm. So that's been a lot of fun, but you know, I've had horror movies to uh, soothe me. So yay. Yay. (laughs) Well, I'm so glad you're feeling better and I'm so glad we got to talk tonight. Um, and we are, uh, despite the holidays and all of the craziness that comes with it, we are trying to get back into a regular recording schedule. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah. So we norm we normally drop episodes on Thursdays, mm-hmm. um, and as we get into our rhythm, um, you guys listening out there, you can expect those to drop on Thursdays, We um, um, and, um, you know, to have the podcast be the mix of the letters that we receive from you, and also origin stories, and it's, it's fun for us, and um, those of us, those those listeners who have stuck with us through our maternity leave, we definitely appreciate <laughs> you and hope you guys can spread the word out there and hope this is something that you find unique out there in the podcast universe. Agreed, agreed. Um, and I'm sure you hear this all the time, but like and subscribe and reach out to us at Final Deer on Twitter or DearFinalGirl at gmail.com if you've got a letter um and uh we can't thank you enough for 
listening and hanging out with us for another hour or so today. <laughs> uh, knowing, knowing that you've always, you always have our, 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 is it, well, I'm going to change. It's not preamble. It's more like pre-ramble, but you know, that's part of, that's part of, that's part of the service that we provide. So oh, that is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness. Well, final dear, thank you so much. This is me yawning. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, stay safe out there. Yeah. Stay safe and, you know, stay, still stay spooky as well because you can do both. Agreed. Agreed. Absolutely. Right. See you later. Bye. 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 Tune in next time for another origin story from your horror community. Till next time, this is Dear Final Girl. Remember, stay alive out there.